0: It started as a riot, and then it became a movement. The game was was not super polished, or 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 like the most beautiful thing. I mean, it was like, um, it was our best effort, you know. But it was, um, and it was fun at its core. But it had a lot of issues. So we we felt like we had to we had to give it away for free, and people had to feel like you know what, this is really worth engaging in, and I want to be here for a long time. And then eventually, it would work out.
1: That's Brandon Beck from Riot Games founders of the massively popular League of Legends. Today, you'll hear their story of gamer to eSports Goliath. This is the Sport Techie Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Brandon Beck and Mark Merrill were spending their college years playing video games literally. It wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough to live under the cloud of that's wasting your life away. What they were unwittingly doing, though, was research. Neither could code, but both knew what they wanted in their gaming experience, and soon thereafter came League of Legends, which went from loyal community to worldwide obsession to venture capitalist playground. Recently, at the Smithsonian's Lemelson Center for the Study of Invention and Innovation, they joined me for a discussion on how they built a league that made them legends. Brandon Beck is the first
0: voice you'll hear. My favorite game of all time will probably let most people down, but it was a text-based <laughs> mud called Dragon Realms. And it was, it was this, it was sort of before there was MMOs, so to speak, before these massive online worlds, but. It was a game that um, thousands of people logged into simultaneously in a shared world and a shared experience, and you made friends and you made relationships, and uh, it was it changed my life. I mean, it was like a transformative, like religious experience for me. Like just as a kid to be in this world, to make these friends, to build these relationships, for anything to sort of be possible, and it was a simple enough game that I mean, you would type north, and then a paragraph of text would tell you the next room that you were in and who was in it, and you could type, oh, look at that guy, and it would tell you what he was, wearing. I mean, that was the game, but it was a great game.
2: Yeah, Brandon and I have played lots of games, you know, we, we sort of say that we're both widely played but also deeply played, and we think it's pretty important uh, in our industry to uh, to really have a good frame of reference for for games and what's out there and for what our players are playing and things like that. So. Uh, we're very fortunate to sort of have this labor of love where we get to actually work in an industry that we're so passionate about. But I would say growing up, um, there were lots of different influential titles at different points in time. But I would say the one that I probably sunk the most collective hours into prior to League of Legends, of course, uh, was a game called EverQuest, uh, which was a massively multiplayer online game. And uh, you know, at one point, as an example, when I was a junior in college, wouldn't recommend this from a healthy lifestyle standpoint, but I was probably playing 100 hours a week uh, didn't do a lot of class or uh, or sleep, uh, you know, uh, which was probably the the most engaged, you know I've ever been in the game. Um, and but, uh, you know, like Brandon mentioned, tremendously formative experience really shaped my perspective uh, and some of our philosophy that we try to implement at riot, both on what to do and what not to do. and uh, have, you know forged some lifelong friendships that are still with me today, uh, including going to a wedding to a friend that I'd only met online who was from England, you know, and just tremendously, you know, powerful community.
1: What what did your parents tell you about the 100 hours a week you were playing video games before you had made League of Legends?
2: Well, fortunately, they didn't know because I was in college. But uh, I was, you know, whenever they'd see me and I was skinnier and a little more pale and whatnot, they were like, are you okay?" And, uh, you know, they were concerned. Uh, And that was far too much.
1: So, so what started your path towards innovation? Did you guys play these games and, and see and want more? Did you feel more? What,
0: what was going through your minds? We were the type of, of gamers that would spend hundreds or thousands of hours on the games that we loved. Um, and a lot of those were competitive experiences, games like Starcraft and Warcraft Two and Warcraft Three and shooter games like Counter-Strike. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think Back then, um, there wasn't really a model for developers to support those games um, because they sort of sold them in a box at Best Buy and and Walmart and um, and then the dev team would have to like move on to make the next game or the next installment of the franchise or sequel or whatever and but some of us would stick around as part of the community for a long long time and want to be there for a long long time because there was so much to master. Um, there was so much to explore and peel back the onion in these games, um, and we sort of, they needed support, you know, and there wasn't really a model um, for doing that. So I think that was just a big, like, we, we wanted to build a company that really focused on just the serious niche of players like us that were, like, die-hard about... Playing a game competitively.
1: So, you saw this more as it was this tight knit community that wasn't being served as opposed to this massive worldwide audience that it has become now?
2: For sure, yeah. yeah we, in our original model, and we were planning uh, for the creation of League of Legends, we, we were hoping to achieve 20,000 simultaneous players. We were like, all right, then we could maybe be profitable and have a business. And, uh, you know, we sort of we blew past that over time which created a lot of scaling challenges and whatnot. But yeah, we had no idea that when we were trying to intentionally focus on what we perceived to be a niche, that it would resonate with so many all around the world.
1: And yet you guys were in this community. You must have realized at some level it was bigger than I think
0: the outside perception of it was. We, we knew it was big and we knew it was there and we knew there were a lot of players like us. And like, But we probably never would have imagined just how big it could become. And I think it's become bigger over the years. I think there's a lot of parallel, like there's a lot of innovation happening in the world that's just making it more connected, making it easier to, to share these experiences with friends, to play together, etc. That, that that has helped expand um, that audience and bring this kind of gaming to more people. So
1: you're into this, you want to do this, you, you see this path, but early career, what are you doing?
0: What are you guys thinking about? We founded it. We, so Mark and I went to college together, and we were roommates out of college. And we founded uh, the company like like two years out of school. So n- not a ton, but I had gone into um, strategy consulting. And, uh, you know, it wasn't very gaming-centric. I always knew I wanted to get into games. And, you know, it was just, it was just a matter of when and how and, you know, Maybe if nobody would hire us, then we would have to just start our own little thing, and that's you know kind of what actually happened.
2: So. Yeah, we actually lived in a uh, small apartment in West Hollywood uh, after college, and we had sort of back-to-back gaming rigs. And if we ever weren't at work together, the the one thing we wanted to do together was play games, and you know so that was really how we we just synergized off the other's energy, and we'd always want to go play games and think about where the industry was going and whatnot. And some of that dynamic, uh, you know, was part of the. You know, fortuitous circumstances that led to us thinking about creating right. Yeah, I hear you talking about the psychological background that you feel to study and, and
1: banking and business. Where's the tech background? How did you know how to how to do something like that?
0: I think I think we didn't know everything that we needed to know. Um, I think we were comfortable around technology as well, and you know, had taken like you know, personally, I had taken computer science and AP computer science, all that stuff in school and some college classes. But, um, but yeah, we were, we were never going to qualify as, like techno, as sort of technologically adept enough to sort of you know, even be like an associate engineer at our own company. And so we, just, we had, to, this was a team effort. We had to build an awesome team of people that shared this mission, this vision, and, and I mean, that was from the get-go, we, we would need to find a bunch of people that wanted to go on this journey with us. What was the vision? What
1: was, what was the League of Legends vision?
0: I mean, ultimately, the the league vision was to build this really competitive game that was, you know, gonna gonna almost that, that that was almost like a sport from the perspective of it has to be more fun the hundredth time we play than the first, and it has to be more fun the thousandth time than the hundredth time, um, and we wanted we wanted this replayable experience and play space that could just be almost infinite from a mastery curve standpoint. Uh, And we wanted a company that would be be able to serve that player and that experience on that journey for many, many years, Um, and took the service part just as seriously as the development part. Um, So not only just patching and updating the experience um, the whole time, but um, communicating with players, um, interacting with players, creating events for players. Eventually that became eSports, we didn't see that coming, to be honest, in the beginning. And we can talk more about the journey to esports, but that was, that was a surprise and an awesome one. Um, but we wanted to be the kind of company that could deliver that, that could spend just as much time thinking around the game as in the game. What did you see as the vision for League of Legends?
2: Yeah, so we always looked at League of Legends as a bit of the proof point to the broader company thesis, as Brandon was talking about, around you know, high-quality, focused games that are really targeting a specific type of player uh, and would be you know, just forging a really intimate relationship. Because uh, one of the things that I think was frustrating to Brandon and I in our gaming careers and, and experiences growing up was when you care about a game and you play it for hundreds of hours, sometimes thousands of hours, you feel a deep sense of attachment and you want to help. You want to help the game, you want to help the company. And so we very much experienced sitting there on our screen reading about patch notes or changes or things like that, that we would be like, why would the company make these decisions, This doesn't make any sense, and be incredibly frustrated by it, and write up you know massive message board posts with advice and whatnot, and uh, it would be incredibly frustrating as a player to hear, well, working as intended, or essentially what we perceived to be or felt as dismissive feedback, and um, you know, so we wanted to build a company, again, where even if we had to do a thing or have a reason as to why, you know, we, we obviously can't please everybody 100% of the time, we would always explain why. And we'd try to cultivate trust in players so they'd understand our intentions and how we make decisions and why, and really try to pull back the curtain um, so there would be this longer term trust that League of Legends and, and other games from Riot would be worth your time. Because we're not going to let you down. We're going to understand what's happening, what's working, what it's all about, and we're going to constantly improve with you as part of you to help build this experience that you know, I think League of Legends has ultimately become in terms of it sort of being more than a game. Uh, and it's just been really exciting and a, and a tremendous honor to be part of something that uh, you know I think has delivered on you know beyond our wildest expectations of what we were hoping to try to achieve.
1: We'll continue our conversation with Brandon Beck and Mark Merrill. But first, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Get the newsletter sent to your inbox by signing up at Sportechie.com. And follow us or me on Twitter at Sportechie and at RealBrandW. Okay, back to our conversation with Brandon Beck and Mark Merrill of Riot Games. So they had this idea, and they built a team to actually make it a reality. And now they had to convince users to give League of Legends a shot. Here's more from our conversation at the Smithsonian's Lemelson Center in Washington, D.C.
0: First of all, we made it free, um, which which at the time was a weird thing to do. So. You know, you'd meet with the traditional publishers, and they'd be like, "Wait, you, you spent your this development budget on a game you want to you want to give it away for free." That was sort of a weird concept. And then there's not going to be a subscription. There's not going to be a paywall. Um, no single player. You're going to sell stuff in the game, and even that stuff can't really influence the competitive integrity or power or anything like that. Um, but but we felt like we had to. We felt like you know what, like. This is sort of this this genre that that no one's really familiar with this this title that no one's ever heard of this studio that no one's ever heard of, and the game was was not super polished or 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 like the most beautiful thing. I mean, it was like um, it was our best effort, you know. But it was um, and it was fun at its core, but it had a lot of issues. So we we felt like we had to we had to give it away for free, and people had to feel like you know what this is really worth engaging in and i want to be here for a long time and then eventually it would work out and and fortunately it has so in some ways it was a it was also like an unapologetically like uncompromising game it wasn't very easy to play even to this day like we have a a pretty awful tutorial and ramp into the experience a lot of people are like hey that's cool you make this game like i should download it and try it i'm like um, you know, I mean, it depends who you're talking to, right? But, but for most people, it's like, you know, you, you probably won't like it, is the truth, you know, and it's like... Um, we literally talk people out of trying to play the game. Can we go are like, probably not. Because it's, 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 you know. a, it's a big commitment, it's a big investment, um, but, and we've continued to focus all our energy, development-wise, on that, that core of players as opposed to trying to really widen it as much as possible, because I, I, you can't always have both. It's great when there are things you can do to adapt the game to make it both easier and deeper at the same time. But, and we are always looking to do that everywhere we can, but, but oftentimes those things are in conflict. You actually make a good point. Just a quick raise a
1: ha- of your hands. Who's played it, League of Legends? All of wow. you, how many of you have not? Raise your hands real quickly who have not. Okay, so this is like 50-50. So we should do this then. <laughs> what is League of Legends?
2: <laughs> we haven't done this pitch in a long time. <laughs>
0: No. We'll, we'll do is, a nice short one, but it, it is, seems like there are a lot of people that probably is, want to know what this is. This is, is going to be fun because this highlights why it was like, like one of the challenges we had like on the initial press tour, like trying to help journalists and other folks like really understand the game. I mean, it's because if you don't have context, it's ultimately a, should I take a crack or do you want to take a crack? Go for it. All right. This is going to be terrible, but it's, so it's a five on five competitive experience, Matches last. 30 to 40 minutes. Um, players uh, control these champions that can grow throughout the game by leveling up um, as, they, as they do stuff. And by earning currency in the game, in that experience allows you to buy items, enhance your power. Jeez, um, it's already a mouthful and confusing. Sorry, I'm so, I'm like losing my train of thought, but that's what, that's. <laughs> yeah, I bet someone in this audience could do a much better job than me. <laughs> just, just to give an example,
2: if you were to try to describe American football, you know, to somebody that it, like to an alien, right? Like, somebody would, like, what is this that you're talking about? <laughs> league has just the same amount of complexity. You're like, if you're like, well, there's 11 people, and they all play different roles, and they're part of these teams, and they f- crash into each other, because, like, the guy takes, snaps the ball and then hands it to somebody else, and everyone has these different roles they're supposed to play to then try to move the ball down the field. And you we hit this guy here, you but you stop. can't hit him there, and you better not do that. That might be a catch. I'm not sure, yeah. <laughs> but, actually, Yeah. actually. Yeah. Well, so League has all the same dynamics that you'd have in any particular sport, like football or basketball or a team-oriented sport, where there's positions, there is incredible complexity, or and individual skill at the individual level. There's skill at the team level. There's at the pre-game decision making in terms of who should play what champion and what should our strategy be or approach based on our composition together. And uh, you know, anyway, so it's very complex. If I were to try to do the super elevator pitch, you know, I would say it's a five-on-five competitive battle arena where you take control of. Imagine a fantasy superhero. And these fantasy superheroes have different powers, and you try to work together with your team to essentially kill the enemy team's base. And that's sort of it in a nutshell. Mm. And it's actually really fun, (laughs) surprisingly.
1: Those of you who uh, have never played it, do you want to try it now? Is it a good enough explanation? Yes? Yeah. What do you make of, of what has happened here? Not just from the gaming community, but the people who have interest in literally watching all of this in front of them.
0: I mean, it's just super exciting because I think, you know, if you grew up, Playing games, you know, you sort of always wish that that the game that you're spending all this time to sort of master um, and, and all the fun you're having playing it and practice and maybe the replays that you're watching and studying, like was sort of a worthwhile thing to do, and that like at some level like it, it, people could care about it um, in sort of you know, that it could sort of rise to the level of being a sport. And and now that games can become, you know, can, can, can conjure all that same stuff. And, you know, I don't want to jump into that sports debate that we just watched, are we a sport, are we not a sport? Whatever we are, like, people, people want to come watch, like a big chunk of our audience and broader audiences want to connect.
1: Yeah, what's not debatable is there's a massive audience for right. it, regardless of how you define it, right? It is, it exists.
0: And that's just so much fun. Like, bottom line, that's, that's just super exciting.
1: What do you make of the, the esports phenomenon?
2: So yeah, the first business plan that Brandon and I actually worked on in college together uh, was to build an esports league. You know, when we were probably eighteen and nineteen, we were going to call it UGL, the Ultimate Gaming League, and because uh, because back then, you know, and I think again, this it was not a novel idea or concept. You know, around you know many gamers who were like us, who engaged very deeply with competitive online games, wanted to know who's the best. We can all experience that in our local friends group. It'd be like, oh, I'm best at GoldenEye, or I'm really good at Street Fighter. Or, Let's go to the arcade, or you know, our local arcade. You know, So gaming and competition has always gone hand-in-hand, hand. but building the infrastructure to support live events and the tournament circuit or league structure or whatever made sense for the type of game was something that we always dreamed of to what's Brandon's point. And it's just been a tremendous honor and privilege and exciting thing to be able to be a part of uh, to help deliver that. You know, in season two, which uh, was the first time that we hosted an event uh, an esports event in a big arena. It was at the Galen Center, which is the USC's basketball arena. We both went to USC. Walking into that, I mean, first of all, we were incredibly nervous, and you know, uh, but it was so—it was—it was borderline like a spiritual experience for us to walk around, and we're seeing North American fans painting their faces and wearing jerseys and having signs and chanting and huh. and cheering for two teams from Asia. You know, the Taipei Assassins versus a team from Korea, Azubu Frost, and I mean, it was. It was just amazing to be there.
1: Um, What are the right platforms for it? Have you guys kind of figured out in terms of a a media content um, site? What what have you guys learned about how this is going to be distributed?
0: Um, You know, I think platforms are always evolving and changing. Like the advent of streaming, I think was actually pivotal to sort of esports taking off, and they happened right around the same time. Um, because suddenly, you know, any event could be in everyone's home simultaneously without, without worry about like, how, how do we get this on NBC and what time slot and all, you know, all the nuances associated with that and production values. And so, like all of a sudden it was just, we could, we could literally light it up and stream it anywhere on the internet. Um, so streaming has been pivotal and it continues to sort of be how people engage with esports. Um, you know, I think television um, as it exists today, and it's changing a lot, you know, it, it is is more challenging because um, it's it's more pushed out. So you, like, sort of tune into a network and it's sort of pushed to you as opposed... So, you know, I think if we were broadcasting on, on conventional, like, mainstream TV channels, we'd probably alienate a lot of their existing audience who'd be like, like, hey, what is this? And, like, where's my college football? And what's this thing? You know, it's like... So I think that we, we have to... Uh, so I think streaming's a good place for it now um, but over time I think it'll be ubiquitous and TV's changing in a way that that favors that trend
2: and part of our philosophy around eSports distribution has always been let's try to make it as accessible as possible to our players so let's not lock it behind some exclusive broadcast deal you know let's you know create free video you know videos on demand as shortly thereafter because our goal was build a build a great sport build a great fan experience sort of and, you know, of course we've been surprised at how quickly it's grown, uh, but one of the challenges there is, you know, of course we're investing lots of infrastructure expertise, you know, building the, cap- the capabilities to even run esports events and or broadcast it was a huge challenge because we couldn't go to LinkedIn and be like, hey, who's an esports professional? Because it didn't really exist. So we had to go train people from our community team that had a passion and get cameramen, people who were good at the game, and then try to partner them with people who actually had some broadcast experience and had craft expertise, and then figure out what the show would be like. And you know, there were all sorts of crazy ideas that we threw out. Like, should we have cheerleaders or just or like <laughs> halftime or- you know, but,
0: National Anthems. Right, like, how do we structure do we, the league? The, the, the first, the, that first event like, at Galen Center, one of the things that was sort of petrifying is just like, well, how's, what's the energy going to be like in here? Like, none of us know what it's like to be in an arena, like, supporting an eSport team. Like, what do... When do we Do we need the defense chant? What would that? When would that happen? What would that be like? Like, do we have, like, what do we do during halftime? What do we do, like, even during the game? Is it gonna be loud? Is it gonna be quiet as a library? Like, what's it gonna be like? Well, um,
2: and, and strangely enough, I still actually think, and I, this is probably some nostalgia bias, but that our season two championships were one of the best events we've done, and part of the reason is because, we also integrated the community feeling, mm-hmm. you know, not just ultra hardcore, sports, sports, sport, the whole time, but also here's some fun videos that we created and here's some community content and here's the orchestra playing our you know, the theme song of the League of Legends. And it just, it hit the right notes from sort of the vibe and feeling standpoint. Um, and you know, we're always trying to deliver that experience where people are proud to play and they're excited to be part of the community and they wanna go bring their friends in. Uh, again, because unless we're delivering things that are incredible, no one's ever going to want to spend any money, and then we have to go work for somebody else. Esports is still in its infancy. Brandon loves to you know, say that, uh, you know, hey, maybe we're still in the leather helmet days or whatnot, but I, I think that that's really true.
1: As of 2016, League of Legends had over 100 million players per month. You can hear the entire conversation by going to Sport Techie's YouTube page or at SportTechie.com. As always, we are staying ahead of the game. This is the Sport Techie Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.